So I thought Scott was my friend, but on his way out of the baptismal pool, he completely stood on my dry clothes, which was not very... So, sorry about that. It's not sweat marks, it's just Scott being, being mean. <laughs> Honest, I promise. Uh, well, good morning. What a great, great morning so far. And uh, I pray by God's grace that his uh, spirit will continue to be at work as we turn uh, to God's word this morning. Uh, I'll just uh, add my welcome to any visitors, especially. My name's Martin, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my honor to get to share God's word uh, with us all this morning. Uh, so as Scott mentioned, uh, this morning starts, uh, it marks the start of a new sermon series. Uh, we will, God willing, be spending the next eight Sundays in one particular uh, chapter of the Bible. I didn't want, a Scott, I didn't want Scott to give it away at the start. Um, but I am so excited uh, about this new sermon series. There, <laughs> there are lots of reasons for that. Um, one of those is, and to be fair, this is very low down the list of the reasons I'm excited about this sermon series, is because uh, one of the commentators, the guy who's written on this particular book of the Bible, is called Douglas J. Moo. And... Uh, <laughs> If that doesn't make you smile a little bit, then I don't think you and I can be friends, because that, that, that really makes me happy, especially if any of you watch Friends, and you'll know the scene where Joey gets a phrase wrong, and he calls something a moo point, and he says, you know, it's, it's like a cow's opinion, it just doesn't matter. It's moo. Well, uh, so we will be, I'm, I bet that over the next few weeks, we will be reflecting on lots of moo points, because this guy, Douglas Moo, has written this book, and it's about that big, uh, all about this particular uh, book of the Bible. I showed Jacob this book, he said, that's bigger than the Bible, which is a strange thing, that you can have a book bigger than the Bible, all about just one, uh, one, one book of God's word. But anyway... Uh, I'm just mentioning that now. I'm getting that out of the way now because uh, the reality is every time I refer to Doug Moo, I'm going to want to make some stupid joke about it. And I'm, I'm not going to do that. You're welcome. I'm going to leave that aside. So don't you be smiling or laughing whenever I mention his name, okay? Uh, I'm sorry. That's just, this is just who I am. Uh, but anyway, talking of this particular gentleman, listen to the way he captures some of how this chapter of the scriptures has been described over the centuries. It has been called the, and then he quotes, inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith, the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden, the highest peak in a range of mountains. And the chapter in question is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, I, I hope and pray that at some point uh, together, we might get to go through the whole letter uh, to the Romans, but, but for these next weeks, we're only going to look in chapter 8, and we're going to explore this chapter with a particular agenda um, over these weeks, which is, as Scott said, the, the series is called Life in the Spirit. We want to understand more about the Holy Spirit and more about what life lived in and with and through the Holy Spirit, what that looks like. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. In the Bible, we find that there is one God, and that that God exists in three persons. That's the language that has been used for hundreds of years. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And as we go through Romans chapter 8, we want to try and understand the Spirit more. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is misunderstood. In fact, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is not understood at all. Maybe if someone said to you just off the cuff, what does the Holy Spirit do? Who is the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of us in the room might actually struggle to know a good answer to that. We would know probably quickly how to respond if we were asked about who is Jesus and what has Jesus done, but perhaps for some of us, just not sure about that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can be ignored or or sidelined a little bit. It's often quipped, um, perhaps unfairly sometimes, that the, the Holy Trinity in some churches appears to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And sometimes the reality is the the Holy Spirit can be nudged to the side a little bit. We don't want to do that. We don't want to ignore him. We don't want to sideline him. And and that's one important thing. The Holy Spirit is is a he. It's not a force. It's a person. We don't want to push him aside. We don't want to misunderstand him. Nor do we want to mischaracterize the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is mischaracterized as weird. Or people might only refer to the Holy Spirit when they're thinking about particular aspects of Christian life or Christian worship. So I'll give you an example. A good friend of mine uh, once said to me, uh, so are you guys into the Holy Spirit at your church? And I, I, I can't remember how I responded, but in my heart I was thinking, well, we better be, because if we're not, we're seriously in trouble. Um, listen to how John Stott speaks of the very essence of what Christianity is. The Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. So we better know who the Holy Spirit is, what difference it makes. In our lives. And in Romans chapter 8, in just one chapter, we learn so much about the Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, In the first 27 verses of this chapter, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. That's more than any other chapter of the Bible. But it's not so much that Romans 8 is attempting to describe who the Spirit is or what He does, it's that we learn of all these amazing realities that are ours through the Holy Spirit. So Tom Wright comments this. He says, the Spirit was not, for Paul and his contemporaries, a doctrine or dogma to be discussed, but was the breath of life, which put them in a position to discuss everything else. So anything that you could think about in this world, the Spirit, Tom Wright says, is the breath of life, which enables us to reflect on everything else that God is doing and that we are doing in him as we partner with him in this world. So we we only have time to look briefly this morning at just one aspect of the Spirit's work right at the start of Romans chapter 8, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit sets us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. Free from what? You say, I don't feel, I feel free enough just now, and you are free You can walk out if you need to walk out or anything like that. It's a horrible feeling to feel trapped. I'm sure at some point in your life you can reflect to feeling trapped a little bit. Um, The Clarks, as as many of you know, we love a theme park. 
And uh, this summer, we, we took a little tour around some of the theme parks in, in England, just driving around. And one or two of the attractions, ones that only Lindsay and I did, actually, uh, toyed with this idea of you being trapped. One of them, there was a sort of dark ride roller coaster. And as you got off the roller coaster, um, it, the, the, there was this dimly lit corridor through which you had to kind of fumble your way around to find your way out. And they even had actors participating in the sort our theme of the ride, jumping out around the corner, and there was loud music on, and there were sirens, and the whole thing was, you got to get out of the ride, you got to get out, and everyone's rushing behind you, so I did what I thought was the right thing to do, which was grab Lindsay, put her in front of me, and hold, <laughs> hold on to her as she navigated the way out, but, but it was scary in the dark, and there was this sense of, we eventually saw this little glimmer of light, and indeed that opened up to the exit, and out we went into the, into the beautiful sunlight, and we were just so glad to be free. It was such a relief to feel free, having felt a little bit trapped. No one likes to feel trapped, whether that's physically, maybe some of you are claustrophobic, you know you don't like being trapped. Or in any way, you know there's other ways, right, that we can be trapped, so to speak. Maybe some of you this morning feel financially trapped, emotionally trapped, or psychologically in captivity, bound. Maybe some of you feel that you're just hemmed in and trapped by a certain difficult set of circumstances in your life. And if that's you, it's a horrible place to be. There is something within all of us that longs to, that knows that we should be free. Be free. And you know why that is? That's because God made us that way. The scriptures teach that mankind was made for freedom. God made this world and he put Adam and Eve and he set them in this beautiful garden and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God gave them beautiful plants and animals to live in harmony with and work to do and rest to enjoy and his presence to cherish. That was God's plan for humankind, freedom, Peace, fulfillment with him and with one another. Which is why feeling trapped is so universally resisted. But the freedom that we were meant for is not exactly the sort of freedom that our Western culture would lift up and promote. I mean, that is one of the most cherished things, that you should be free I mean, we hear about this in so many different times. We just turn on any Disney film, and one of, the, one of the themes that runs through almost every Disney film is you need to break free from whatever's binding you. But the freedom, the true freedom, which we should be chasing after, is, is not found in complete autonomy or in complete self-determination, but the freedom that God made us for was freedom with Him, freedom with our creator. And the story of humanity is we don't want that. We don't want that. We just want to do what we think is right in any particular moment. That's certainly my story. I have over years, day by day, pushed God away and sought to do my own thing rather than God's thing. And in doing that, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're pushing true freedom away. We're pushing ultimate reality of freedom away. It's what the Bible calls 
sin and we become trapped again, not just with the challenges of life, but we find ourselves spiritually trapped because we've pushed away the one in whom we find true and complete freedom the way he always meant it to be. But God does not leave us there. Hallelujah. God does not leave us trapped. The Spirit sets us free. Let's read Romans chapter 8, the first four verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Those first words in Romans chapter 8 are some of the best known words in all of the Bible. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are beautiful words beyond description. I'm not sure, just to testify from my own life, I'm not sure there's any phrase from the Bible that I've had to remind myself of as much as that phrase. When I felt hopeless, when I felt lost or defeated, when I felt full of shame, when I felt worthless, or indeed when I felt trapped, to remind myself of Jesus and what he has done, and to remember again and again and again and again that because of him, there is no condemnation for me. Are those words life to you? Do those words leave you breathless? Do they stagger you? Do they, do they blow your mind? For that to be the case, you have to understand why there would be condemnation in the first place. We were hearing a bit about this last week when Dominic was sharing about what's fair and how the reality is that fairness would mean us being judged for our sin. This is what we were hearing about last week, and it's what Romans 1 to 7 has been laying out. This is what the therefore in chapter 8 verse 1 is therefore. Paul's not just referring to the last few words of what he wrote in chapter 7, but in a sense, this is a moment where he's summing up where he's got to this point. And the only people who will be staggered by Romans chapter 8 verse 1 are those who accept all that God has been laying out through Paul for the first seven chapters. Here's some of these things just briefly. That there is a God. That this God, that he's a God who's, as it says in chapter 1 verse 20, eternal power and divine nature and perfect beauty have been clearly seen. In Romans chapter 3, we learn that all of us in our own nature have turned our backs on that God. 
that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we want to be stunned by Romans 8 verse 1, we need to understand the reality and the scale of that rebellion against God, that we have rejected His love, we have rejected His presence, we have rejected His authority, we have rejected His lordship over our life. And we need to understand the awful consequences of that, that we stand condemned, guilty before the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's way worse than any other condemnation we could ever face. Think of that feeling you, you have in, that, that comes over you in a flash when you know you've done something horrific and when you know that there will be a penalty for that thing. Well, well, our reality is that without the grace of Jesus Christ, we are condemned because we've pushed our creator God away. And that is more serious than anything else we could ever imagine. And we need help. We need help. And Romans just is the most beautiful, sort of careful telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's been laying out that there is help. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this, while we were still weak, if you're weak this morning, take heart, because listen, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to the change this makes. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Saved from condemnation, saved from the wrath of God. And if anyone understands that, and again, this is a miracle that happens by the power of the Spirit, if anyone truly accepts that, the scale of our need and the wonder of the good news in Jesus Christ, then they will treasure the words of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore, because of Jesus' work, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. But you should want to know, how? How can that be the case? How does this work? We need to drill down deeper. And verse 2 tells us how it can be that we don't need to live in fear or guilt or condemnation, and it's because the Spirit sets us free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for, because, so this is the ground of verse 1, this is what makes verse 1 possible, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's the Holy Spirit who sets us free. Paul here mentions two different options for all humanity, two sort of powers under which we can live. And he uses this word law. Uh, one of the challenging things is Paul uses the word law in lots of different ways when he writes in his letters. But here it seems that he's speaking figuratively. For example, he's not speaking here, I don't think, about the Mosaic law. But he's he thinking of words like authority, power, or even way. So if I read verse 2 and use the way rather than law, then listen to what we get. For the way of the spirit of life or the, the authority of the spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the way of sin and death, from the power of sin and death. So there is this way of of sin and death, which is life apart from God. It's life where we reject God. We don't receive from Him the life and the forgiveness that He offers us, but we try and live right, do right, uh, follow our own kind of moral code week by week, live up to a certain standard. There's no freedom there. There's no freedom there. We all stumble and fall short, not only of God's standard, but even the standard that you would set of yourself, even the standard that we would set of those in terms of how we would expect them to behave towards us. We all fall short of that standard. We all make mistakes. We all need help. There's no freedom in living under that law, under that power of of sin that is to put yourself in the center of things and death, to, to reject God. There's no freedom there. But then there is this other way, this other law that Paul is speaking about where we live under the Spirit's authority, where we live in His way, in His life, in His flow. And in this, this is how He sets us free. It is on the basis of the finished work of Jesus. That's why it says, has set you free in Christ Jesus. But it's the law of the spirit of life that has set us free. Why is there no condemnation for you? If you're in Christ, it's because the spirit has set you free. Has set you free. Past tense. Rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. Rooted even in the mind of God before this world even began. Rooted in the life giving power of the Spirit, which at some point enabled you to know in your heart that you couldn't do it on your own and enabled you to turn and trust in in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Spirit of life has set you free. This is true. It's done. And I want you to know that you can be free from condemnation, free from struggling and stumbling in your own power and in your own might and in your own thoughts and in your own ways. You're set free. But we don't just want to know that reality. We want to know why we're free. We we want to know who it is that makes it happen. We don't just know the fact, but we know how that reality has taken place. That's what these verses are all about. There's a difference between knowing, for example, Christianity is about being free from condemnation. You can know that and not be alive in Jesus Christ. It's better to be able to say, thank you that I can be set free by you, God. But it's even better to be able to say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have set me free. Do you see the difference? There's, there's, there's degrees of, of cherishing the reality with God as opposed to knowing a true fact that God has told us about. Christian faith is not just about accepting information. It's about surrendering our lives and receiving the blessing that God brings to you. The certain hope 
for now and forever of the blessings and freedom that someone else has won for us and has given us and gives us day by day. Not just knowing truth, but knowing the God who brings us the blessings of that truth. When I was little, it was a season, I don't know what age I was, but I used to go to bed and have these horrible, almost terrors, like panic dreams as I was trying to fall asleep. And it was a a chaotic, horrible reality. I used to get so wound up um, as I was trying to get to sleep. I didn't need information in those moments. I did know important information. I knew that I was safe. I knew that I had nothing to fear. But I didn't need information in those times of need. I needed presence. I needed my mom or my dad to come and sit with me and be near me. I needed the, the law, you might say, of, of mom, the way of mom, the presence and the peace of, of mom or dad. I needed someone to be with me, to hold me, and just for the reality of their presence to change that, that moment that I was in. Don't, don't mishear me. Christians need information. We need to understand and to know Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But I think we also need, probably even more than that, we need presence. We need to know how that happens. We need to know the way of the spirit of life. That's how you're free. So, dear friends, in the middle of the night this week, when you're maybe lower than you've ever been before, in the moments after you've caused the tears of someone else to flow by the way that you have spoken to them or acted towards them, in the moments after the outburst of anger that you found yourself in again, which has left you devastated and wondering, who on earth am I that this comes out of me? The morning after, the night before, and you wake up and you're full of shame because of something you've done the previous day. The drive home from work when you realize that you haven't given God a, ser- a single thought in the day and you're wondering if he's even real. The moments when you feel trapped by the circumstances that you're in in life. Know that you can be free. Know that you are free if you've come to Jesus and you've accepted all that he has done for you. But know more than just information. Know the spirit who has set you free from this other way, the law of sin and death. Come to him. Thank him. Get to know him. Walk with him. Receive the spirit and rest in what he's done. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that the power of the spirit of life has set us free from the power of sin and death. 
And in that, we know that there is no condemnation for any who are in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you have set us free. And Lord, I just pray now that we would know that reality even right now. I just invite you just to quiet your heart, to focus your mind in on God and his presence. Open your ears of your heart to his voice and turn to him. Father, we need the truth of the gospel because it's through that that we know of who you are and we know that you're here with us. So we just now pray that you would draw near to us and assure us again that you've not left us alone. That there is hope even for the fears and the things that trap us in our lives. Remind us now Come to us now. Help us feel your freedom. Help us leave here changed and help us this week not only know the reality of that, but to love you for that reality, I pray. Amen.